1: Welcome to the RotoWire NBA Podcast. It is Monday, April 17th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. We went podless last week, I think for the first time since probably early September. Uh, but we are back now after a full weekend. Uh, all eight game ones have been played uh, as we get through the first weekend of the NBA playoffs. We're recording this about two hours before Game two uh, of Pacers Cavaliers. We have Game two of Grizzly Spurs uh, later tonight. Both of those games on TNT. So hopefully this podcast, you know, will have a little bit more shelf life. Uh, there's also been like a million other podcasts recapping all the game ones, but uh, this was a really fun weekend. You and I both had a chance to watch most of the games. Um well first of all, where does this weekend rank for you? I don't think it often gets brought up, you know, when you talk best sports weekends, you know, there's opening round of the NCAA tournament, Super Bowl weekend's obviously great, NFL draft. I mean there's there's seven or eight probably big time candidates uh on the Mount Rushmore of Super Bowl week or of uh great sports weekends, but for me this is this is definitely in the top three.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna go top three because you know, March Madness is amazing, Super Bowl weekend when it's some teams you marginally care about is Pro pretty Bowl awesome. week, but yeah, Pro Bowl week. Um, you know, French Open, Wimbledon, maybe rank a little higher for me. Masters for some other people as well. However, this is a very underrated weekend. I will say that because, really, you have straight basketball from depending on your time zones to noon to midnight. And even in the regular season, you can't necessarily say that you have straight back-to-back basketball, uh, high-level, intense basketball, basketball that we've literally been talking about for five Mm. straight months about that moment happening. I know you and I get way more jazzed about a Hawks-Wizards matchup than most people out there. um, But top three, pretty close. Top five, I'll give it to you. It was a fantastic weekend.
1: Yeah, I woke up just in time on Sunday to catch the tip for Hawks Wizards, which for us local time tipped up tipped off around noon. I was sick this weekend, all right. So this is a great weekend to be sick. yeah, right? It was great. It was incredible. I was I was more than happy (laughs) to be sick. Um, so yeah, have some sympathy for me. Um, but I want to ask you which team of the sixteen teams that were in action, which team impressed you the most? And your your answer here will determine where we start as we go game by game.
2: It's gotta be the Bucks. I think that's probably the chalk standard answer. Um, you know, we can go the other way and talk about disappointed team, but maybe we'll hold off on that mm-hmm. and start with the Bucks. And pretty appropriate because this Rapture team, you know, still, you know, they should be better than what they've been the last couple of years. However, we know the history here that they have a tendency to lose game one of their first round series, not really getting off to a good start. Uh, for me, the, the fact that the Bucks won it is awesome, but it tells me more so. This is going to be a 50-50 series. I'm not counting the Raptors out by any means. I just thought it was possible the Raptors could sweep or only you know, need five games to take care of it. But in reality, at least from what I saw in game one, this could definitely be a very interesting seven-game series. Didn't think that going into the playoffs, though.
1: Right. It's one of those things where everyone is aware how much DeRozan and Lowry especially have struggled early in series how much the Raptors have struggled early in series and you, you kind of just have to think eventually you know things are going to turn around and they're going to have a game where they shoot over 40 percent you know the bar is set so low it's not like they're just having these average games they're having terrible terrible games in game one of series and it happened again. I mean Kyle Lowry said it today in in his presser after practice. You know, it's déjà vu all over again and it really has been. Um uh, you know, I listened to Kevin Pelton earlier today and and he ran the numbers and said there's about a 1 in 800 chance of a game to, of a team to lose 5 straight game ones at home and that's what the Raptors have done uh to kind of put that into perspective numbers-wise. So um, I don't know if I don't know if the bucks were the most impressive team of the weekend to me they were the most surprising team this was probably the most surprising result not only in how the bucks won uh, but just how much they won by and how convincingly they were able to pull away uh, in the end you know I, I watched the game with with a couple friends back home and you know they're they're pretty big bucks fans and we were just you know saying to each other like at some point the Bucks are gonna find a way to blow this. You know, Giannis was off the court for, for parts of the fourth quarter and, and they were able to to not only maintain but also extend the lead, you know, with guys like Della Vidova and Greg Monroe playing really well. Uh players especially in Delhi's case who have been pretty unreliable for a lot of the season. So this was the most surprising result. Not the team I was most impressed with uh what we'll get there in a little bit, but I do have some thoughts uh on this game. Giannis is the best player in the series, I think we knew that going in, but I think he proved that on both ends of the court. There's a very large gap between Giannis and whether you want to say it's Lowry or DeRozan, even even as poorly or as you know, DeRozan wasn't bad in this game. He was fine. He was really good in the first half. Lowry was bad, um, but what Giannis was able to do offensively and especially defensively, um, you know, you always hear whoever has the best player in a series has the advantage regardless of seed. Sometimes that's true, sometimes it isn't, but it was certainly true on Saturday.
2: Well, and the next game will lead into, I'm assuming, uh, Bulls versus Celtics. You can certainly say that's the case uh, with Jimmy Butler being the best player on the court, and that's, you know, a large reason why I picked the Bulls, because when it comes down to the playoffs, this game one versus the Bucks and Raptors was a great example of one player can just dominate Mm. in playoff basketball. And Giannis, I mean, it's it's one thing to say a player dominated um, and look at the box score and believe it, but then to just your average NBA fan can watch it and be like that guy is dominating everybody on the right. court right now. Great, you know, great performances from Tony Snell, Delavadova, like you said, and you know, it's turning into this team that oh, suddenly they have solid role players and a guy that they can lean on. Right. Oh yeah, Chris Middleton. Haven't even said his name. He was the best player on the Bucks. Like what last year, two years yep. ago.
1: Uh, Middleton wasn't even really good for most of this game. He was, he was, he had some nice plays. You know, he had nine assists. That's really where most of his value came in this game. He was a team high plus 27. That was, you know, 10 points better than anyone else. Um, so it, it would be a stretch to say he had a bad game, but he was 4 15 from the field, especially in the first half. Uh, he was really struggling and, and came on late. And even Delhi, he's three of nine from the floor. We're, we're, everyone's talking like Delhi had this great, great game. It's like that for Delhi. This was a great game. He had eleven points. He didn't have any assists. He had no steals. He had no blocks. But he only turned it over once. People,
2: people are so ready to anoint him like a great role player, or a great defender, or a great whatever. And it, it doesn't take much for a player like him to be. Uh, you know, receive a lot of praise just for right. doing very little. Same way, like, Tony Snell is starting to fall into that category. He shot 4 of 11, which is, like, pretty typical Tony Snell, maybe yeah. a hair better right. than what he usually does, but you knock down a couple of threes, you get a block, and still here, there in the playoffs when everybody's watching, and it, it turns into, wow, Tony Snell is a good role player when the whole year we were riding him just saying, yeah. you know, one of the worst starters in the NBA, and now he's a solid piece on a team that could move into the second round.
1: Yeah, it's uh, strange to think that they you know, got the better end by a pretty good margin in that MCW deal. Brogdon was really good in this game. He had four threes, uh, 16 points, six rebounds, two assists. I thought he, I mean, it was one of those games that we're getting used to from Brogdon where if you did not know he was a rookie, you would have never guessed that. Um,
2: quick aside on Brogdon, sorry. And then maybe we should move on so we can give equal time to all these games. You know, he he said instead of the Bucks campaigning for him to win Rookie of the Year, donate it all to charity. Hate that. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, we're on the same page about that to a certain degree. But don't you think that that's like the upper level, like upper echelon, the best thing you can actually do? to win like the yeah. vote because once word gets out it's like oh awesome now now they don't have to spend any money Ghost to cherry right. charity and brogdon is voted the winner. Like, let's like,
1: tweet this out from the team account four right. times in two hours and show how gracious he is like that that itself was the was the campaign yes exactly. it's not like they handed him a bag with twenty thousand dollars and we like hey what do you want to do with this you know like you don't have to spend any money yeah <laughs> Like, you you know, but- <laughs> there wasn't all this money that you had to spend by the end of the day. That was the best. I
2: mean, that was the best campaign they it ever could have done. I completely agree. Yeah, that, that was, was amazing. That was so Bravo, I don't know if there was some, um, you know, behind backroom door, if that truly was his. I mean, obviously that's what he
1: wanted, but still. Like, People ate that up.
2: Yeah. I, I, why wouldn't you? Of course I mean, you would.
1: I, well, I think we're, we're clearly seeing, you know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to see through what the message was there and it worked. It was great. Uh, so I think Giannis had the second best individual performance of the weekend. John Wall, uh, spoiler, is, is who, who I was really the most impressed with, and the Wizards were who I was most impressed with. Uh, a couple other notes before I move on. Demari Carroll, not a great defender. The myth that Damari Carroll is a defensive stopper on guys like LeBron and guys like Giannis is not true. Um, I think it was David Thorpe on the low post last week. It, it was saying, you know, he, he was basically saying Giannis is going to struggle against Carroll and Tucker because he's, he's weak and he's skinny, was the quote. Anybody who's watched Giannis, like, how could you possibly come away, whether you're just looking at a photo of him or watching him play, like, how could you possibly say he's weak? I guess he's kind of skinny, but he's still, he's ripped. I don't, I don't understand that. I, don't, I thought that was just a really weird narrative for a really smart guy to bring up. Well, here's the thing. David Thorpe
2: is, is like a prospect guy, right? He works in
1: AAU, does all this stuff. Yeah, I don't know him, never
2: coach. met him, but guess what? That's what prospects say. They say, like, if a guy's skinny, they're going to say, oh, it doesn't have a lot of strength. This isn't going to translate. Yeah, I mean,
1: you could say that two years ago, even maybe last year. I mean, Giannis is not, I know, has but, not been bullied by many people. But you
2: know what? People aren't watching every single team in the regular season, all 82 games. Like, this is no surprise to you or I or a lot of people that actually have league pass, but the Bucs were not on national TV a lot this year Every time they were, they last got year. killed, too. Right, exactly. And so it really does take a nice playoff run or playoff performances before the opinion of a player changes. And guess what? Mm-hmm. After this series, people will not be saying that anymore. But it doesn't matter that he's been showing this all throughout the season. People don't watch regular season basketball when it's not their home mm-hmm. team. So that's why people put so much vested interest into the playoffs. Is Bismack Biombo a good player in the NBA? No, but if you panelled everybody who watched the playoffs last year, I bet you they think he's a top half center in the league.
1: I think a certain team in, you know, Northwestern Florida, I think would probably agree with that. Um, the bucks only turned Cent- it over five Central times. Central Florida. Sorry. I didn't, it, I didn't know what you were doing it?
2: there. Orlando is just perfectly in the middle of Florida.
1: Okay. You Central go, Florida. We'll go with that. Yeah. Um, the Bucs only you, turned it the over University five times.
2: University of Central Florida is literally based out of
1: Orlando. Okay, you're right. It is okay. right in there. I was, yeah, I think I was thinking of our, our good friends in Tampa. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> well, the, that's just that's straight like west, west, west central. We, this is not your, um, this is not your forte, We need to no, get off dude. of this. Hey, um, the Bucks only turned it over five times. One of those came in the final minute when the game was over and they were playing pretty sloppily. One of those was a charge. And one of them was a miscommunication where Delhi basically threw the ball out of bounds. So they really only had true, two true turnovers in which the Raptors got the ball and went the other way. I think they scored, actually, on both of those turnovers. Uh, but 17-4 to 4 advantage in terms of fast break points. Lowry, 4 points, 2 of 11 shooting. He has the worst field goal percentage in NBA history among players with 500 or more playoff field goal attempts. His last five game ones of series as a member of the Raptors. Four points, eight points, seven points, 11 points, seven points. That's 14 of 61 from the field combined, seven of 14 from the line. He's attempted 14 free throws in those five games. 17 turnovers, 22 fouls committed. And he hasn't been that much better in game twos. He's getting killed for his game one performances, but in his last five game twos, he's 22 of 70 combined from the field. So if you're a Raptors fan, there's not all that much historical... Statistical based reasoning to believe that Kyle Lowry is going to snap out of this on Tuesday night.
2: Yeah, most definitely. And guess what? He's the secret sauce to the Raptors having a 51 and 53 record this season, you know, being so well this year and in years past. And, you know, all the insider experts will really tell you that, you know, he's the MVP of that. T- that team. Sure, DeRozan might be uh, nominated or, or win third team All NBA and Lowry will be left off this year. But name, make no mistake, as the Raptors go, or as Lowry goes, the Raptors go. So when he struggles, they're just not going to put together a good team performance. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, that, those two things are very, mm. uh, have a strong correlation in my mind. And that'll be something for our listeners to take a look at moving forward with, you know, however long their playoff yeah. run is. Take a look at Lowry's box score, and you usually have a good indication whether or not they won that game, especially in the playoffs. Should we move on to the next
1: game? Yeah. Last thing I wanted to address was just that tech on Giannis with like four minutes left after swatting. Basically, it was like a game ceiling swat. Uh, with the Bucks, were up like 15 or something at the time. One of the weakest texts you'll ever see. I'm assuming that's going to get rescinded for sometime. I kind of thought it would be today. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. Um, but. That does become a factor because of the accumulation of technicals and whatnot in the playoffs, so obviously the bucks will want to get that rescinded, you know just in case. Let's go to warriors, or excuse me, wizards and Hawks. Uh, this was John Wall's game from start to finish, and he completely dominated.
2: So this is the team that you were most surprised by. Uh, this is the team that ended up— I would say most impressed by. Most impressed by. Okay, so there's a little bit of difference there yeah. in, in your rhetoric. Uh, the 4-5 matchup, usually things are equal, but in the regular season, the Wizards finish six games ahead of the Hawks. Nobody's into the Hawks. Nobody thinks they're sexy. People do think that you know John Wall, Bradley Beal are you know sexier of a team, definitely better of a team. So uh, the fact that they won by seven points against a team that they finished six games ahead of— what made you so overly impressed that, you know, cause this is kind of the expected outcome in my mind, yeah. but obviously they impressed you. And I'm just curious to dive into what that specifically was.
1: They, I mean, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I think okay. I picked the wizards to win in four, maybe five. Um, I mean, Atlanta was plus 22 in terms of free throw attempts, plus 16 made free throws and led at halftime. And it never felt like Washington was out of control. Even, even when they were down, it, they were just, it was so obvious that Wall was the best player on the floor. Beal was something like two of eleven from three. The Wiz got nothing out of their bench beyond Kelly Oubre, and they still won with with, with a pretty easy cushion. And, and Millsap, you know, certainly did not did not look like an All Star. So, I, I, I again, I wasn't surprised at all. I was just really, really impressed with the ease. Um, you know, with which John Wall was just able to do whatever he wanted against against Dennis Schroeder and against any of the big guys he was switched out on.
2: Man, in preseason I had the Wizards ranked up there pretty high, and or not pretty high. I think I had them in the four, three, four five, six range in terms of preseason predictions. And then within the first month or month and a half of the season, you know, and you can fall along these pods. Like we both just wrote them off. We're like, biggest disappointment of the season, the Wizards. And then they go on this massive, amazing run and they end up finishing about where I thought they would. And now they're carrying that over into the playoffs. Kudos to them. I love the fact that, you know, back, it was not that long ago when John Wall and Bradley Beal had a tendency quote unquote tendency to dislike each other on the court. Now things seem to be you know perfect harmony, very fun, very fun to watch, excited to see um you know let's just assume they're going to keep rolling over the Hawks because the Hawks don't have a lot to stand on um and it'll be really interesting to see what they could do against uh, a Bulls team or a Celtics team that comes up on the top half or top quarter of the bracket. Other than that, you know the wizards we were just so down on them for for a good portion of the season to think that they could cruise. Realistically, to the Eastern Conference Finals, all of that is obviously forgotten. But I think more, you know, most important to note here is that there was a coaching change, and it's going to be a struggle before things out work accordingly. So with Scotty Brooks, and you know, you can always relate that back to the Timberwolves that it's going to be maybe even a longer adjustment period for them, probably because they have just a younger personnel, Mm -hmm. whereas the Wizards have some veterans. They've seen a couple coaches in their careers before. Anyways, all that said. Isn't it funny that we wrote them off and they could easily be in the Eastern Conference Finals?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, with the way that Chicago-Boston went down last night, neither of those teams really scare Washington all that much. I mean, they played Boston really well this season. Chicago, at the end of the day, is still an eight seed and, and a team that I think would st- I would still be surprised if they advanced to round two, but we'll get to that game uh, in a little bit. Let's go to Cavs-Pacers. This one was the first game on Saturday. I thought the Cavs played well enough to win this game by double digits. I thought they were a little bit careless down the stretch. LeBron blew a really easy layup at a key time in the game. Kyrie got a little a little flashy and, and ended up rimming out on a you know a difficult layup toward the end. Shots that both those guys usually make. Um, I thought the three point shooting and the free throw shooting, especially, were what kind of made this game closer than it should have been. Cavs were fourteen of twenty seven at the line. Kyrie, Love, and Jr combined to go four of eighteen from three uh Kyrie especially missed a ton of looks that he usually makes it it seemed like Love and and Kyrie especially had like five you know chances to really blow the game open it Cleveland was like was up by like six to eight points so many times in this game and we're right there and it felt like you know one or two more baskets were we're going to kind of break the Pacers spirit and they just kept missing open corner threes or they just couldn't quite get the stop that they needed um but in the end you know I think this was Indiana's best chance to steal a game I think you know you're going to look back if you're the Pacers and and probably think, you know, this was really our only opportunity to take control of the series. I think Cleveland's going to win tonight uh and, and things are going to wrap up in probably five games. Um but there were a lot of interesting takes from this game. I and mean, the Cavs defense didn't look all that good. Um there were a couple very blatant miscommunications a couple between Channing Frye and Kevin Love late in the game that led to Pacers baskets at key times. Um, you know, Indy was really able to do whatever it wanted offensively. And part of that was just Lance and Paul George making everything. Uh, but at the same time, the Cavs were so good offensively, even on an off shooting night that it didn't really matter.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think the Cavs are going to roll. And people talk about this on-off switch, right? And do the Cavs have an off switch? Do they not have an on-off switch? And I think most people would agree, and what you're hearing around the league in terms of media and NBA Twitter and all that is they do have an on-off switch. But I don't want people to be confused out there. While it's easy easy to think you know, they wake up one morning, flip it on, they've used the first, second, and maybe even the Eastern Conference Finals to – you know, fully flip that switch on before they go into the finals. And so Mm -hmm. while, you know, this first game, you know, wasn't 100% and you're saying, oh, oh, they haven't switched it on yet. It's a process. And they really have, you can say, lollygagged through the first and second rounds in order to fully flip that switch on. I'm not fearful um, as somebody who is a LeBron supporter um, and somebody who would love to see him go on and win another title, especially over this Golden State Warriors team. Uh, I, I'm not fearful that, that that switch can't be turned on because I think it's been a slow moving switch, if you will, throughout the course of the playoffs. So are is, are you at a panic meter after game one or you think no. uh, we're just kind of moving along just like we've seen in years past with LeBron James-led teams?
1: I don't think, you know, after the game LeBron was asked, you know, kind of about how the Pacers made this closer than they probably thought it would be. I mean, Indiana is, you know, was about three inches right of making this, you know, 1-0 lead and things the narrative around this game is completely different the Cavs just did an awesome job of defending those last two Pacers possessions putting Jr. on Paul George and just letting LeBron kind of roam in the middle I think it was J.A. Adande who who grabbed a screenshot you know of kind of a a wide angle from behind of Paul George on that final possession before he passed to Miles Lance Stevenson is right under the basket you know almost on the baseline standing you know quote-unquote wide open and you know, everybody's like, oh, how did he not throw that pass? Like, if he throws that pass, there's, like, two different guys that are stepping well, in. Like, obviously, like, you think LeBron just turned his back and didn't know Lance was there? Like, that was the plan. Like, make yeah. them think that pass is there. Uh, well, so they, I,
2: yeah, they lined a they lined the baseline with four guys and then yeah. had Paul George ISO at the top of the key. And they did that twice because, remember, I think the ball went out of bounds or something yeah. happened. and you know, you, you can say a lot of different things, but the the game plan there was just to let Paul George go to work, and they literally had the four other guys get the heck out right. of the I mean, way. That's,
1: that's the usual, I mean, 95% of teams, that's what they run at the end of games. Yeah. Um, I, I just think Ty Lue out-coached Nate McMillan in the last minute, and that's really what the difference was. It felt like the Cavs just got a little sloppy. Uh, it felt like they knew they were going to win, and for a second there, it kind of mm-hmm. flashed before them, and they thought, oh, maybe we're not going to win. Then LeBron and Kyrie, you know, were, were able to bring it home at the end, but uh, I'm kind of I'm fully expecting Cleveland to bring a more complete effort. I thought they really underused Kyle Korver uh, in this game, which was kind of odd. You know, he, he really didn't get into a rhythm. I think he hit one three, um, didn't play all that much. Jr. only took four shots. Um, but I don't
2: think you want I don't think you want to show all your cards this early in the playoffs no. because the Cavs can just roll out there. Ho hum. Beat, beat the you know beat, beat beat this team in just you know four or five games. The Pacers, of course, I forgot who they were playing in this first round. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. They're gonna win. They're gonna win in four or five games. And then maybe you start to mix in a couple of things. Like yeah, we should we need to make sure Korver is hot. But you don't want that to be the like the major game plan going through the playoffs because then you're allowing oh, no. teams time to scheme for that.
1: No, of course not. But, I mean, Kyle Culver playing 15 minutes and not attempting a three is like, if, if he's not doing that, why is he out there? Because he was getting right. killed on D. Yeah, no, that makes perfect um, sense. Shumpert, the last thing from this game I thought was odd. Shumpert is out of the rotation, apparently. He He did was not in play. street clothes, right? He was, no, he was, he was dressed. he, oh, was, he was dressed, okay. He was full headband and everything. I, it looks like they're going to go with this nine-man rotation for now. Darren Williams was getting the backup point guard minutes. Not that that's all that surprising, but obviously Shumpert's a much better defender. I think maybe they just don't need Shumpert against this Pacers team it's like you don't need you're not going to go send him out you know to to lock down Monte Ellis like that's just the risk or you know what you're giving up offensively by having Shumpert out there isn't worth whatever he would do defensively I did think it was a little bit odd how comfortable they were with JR on Paul George you know and, and George finished 9 of 19 but it seemed like he was a lot hotter than that and you know six of those nine makes were from beyond the arc so maybe you know if they're comfortable with JR on him maybe we see Shump on Paul George a little bit Shump has a little bit less length than Jr, but he's you know a, a better I think you know strength one on one defender, uh, but I just thought it was interesting that Chump, who's been you know a key part of this rotation for two years now, just did not get off the bench.
2: Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised. They'll mix things up as mm-hmm. they go along, and and matchups and personnel will make. More sense against other teams than they do with the Pacers. Last thing I'll say, and then we can definitely move on, LeBron James over the course of the regular season shot 67.4% from the charity stripe. Obviously, that's terrible. I'm also kind of in my mind just assuming and thinking that he's going to up that. He's got a new routine.
1: I don't know if you noticed. I did not notice. Yeah, it's slightly different. Different foot positioning. He kind of brings the ball down, almost like cocks it before he shot it. I think he made his first five. So he finished six for
2: nine. So that'd be 66.6 repeating percent, which is exactly what he did. Thank you for the head nod on that one, Um, which is exactly what he did in the regular season. However, he's got to be better than that. If he's going to the line nine times, he went to the line on an average average uh, let's see, 7.2 attempts per game. So that's just something that he has to shore up. Like mentally, he's just yep. got to get that locked down. So that'll be a big key, you know, not in the first round, not in the second round, probably not in the Eastern conference finals, but you know, come the finals, that's something that needs to be airtight on his hand because he'll be yep. going to the line. You would hope at least 10 times per game.
1: I don't know if he's ever explicitly said it, but he's always just kind of been in the, like the shack. I'll make him when it counts approach with free throws like that's yeah like he knows uh, it's different, a problem different,
2: a couple different tiers maybe a tier removed I, I don't know if mentioning Shaq really helps that
1: much or well i mean what do you mean fair. oh well Shaq is the guy who like came out and said i'll make him when i, I when yeah i know
2: like the actual slogan but in terms of percentages and when i mean i don't know if it's fair comparison well, I'm but i understand what you're in saying in the
1: finals thing. last year he was at let's see 72 percent. so not all that much all right. better yeah. it seemed <laughs> like it seemed like he missed fewer in the finals <laughs> but apparently not Okay, so we've been through those three games. Let's do OKC-Houston. That's just the next one that I have on my list here. So this was the last game last night, the biggest blowout of all these games, um, I guess with the exception of of Memphis and San Antonio, but at at least that one, much like this game, was close for a half. Houston, basically after missing a lot of shots and and coming out, I think with maybe a little bit, you know, butterflies, or whatever you want to call it, um, just not looking quite right early in the game started getting the switches that they wanted in the second half, and all of a sudden it went from being like a nine-point game mm-hmm. to like a 22-point game in what seemed like two minutes. Cantor was borderline unplayable yeah. on the defensive end. Um, at one point, Kevin Harlan, um, a, a move, James Harden basically spun Ennis Cantor all the way around in a one-on-one situation, <laughs> and that that provoked Kevin Harlan to say, quote, that move is illegal everywhere but the state of Texas. <laughs> which was a great call <laughs> yeah. and definitely the best call of the weekend. Harlan's awesome. Um, and that was basically it. And, you know, Harden ran up the sideline, you know, doing his little cooking thing once mm-hmm. again. How does Giannis get teed up for basically just flexing after a block, and yet that doesn't. Uh, but this was a very, very dominant second-half performance by Houston after what looked like a shaky first half. I I mean, after watching that, I don't know how you can say that this series isn't going to be decided in five or maybe four.
2: Yeah. Sadly, as a Thunder fan, Thunder fan. And uh, born and raised Oklahoma, and I think totally agree with you. Unfortunately, I will say, you know, there's a lot of good, rest in peace, Vine, but six-second clips of uh, Stephen Adams being switched on to Harden last night, and Harden was just going to work. Like, he was moving maybe three times as fast as Adams. Adams was reacting to moves that yes. had happened, like, after Harden had already moved two other times. There was, like, was, like a lag. Yeah, it it was, I noticed really, that, too. It was It was, it was, really, lag. It was
1: like he was... He was facing Harden and like trying to prepare yeah. his body for what was going to come next. And like he just kept but guessing wrong. He was a
2: move behind every time, yeah. like two, maybe two moves behind, anyways. You know, and Houston can do that all series long. It's not going to be an issue with them. Here's the thing I know you said Canner's unplayable, and we just talked about Adams, but a weakness for this Houston team is their. Um, is their under the under the basket defense, right? And so their their post defense where that if Canner, you know, give Canner the ball and he can go to work on Capella. I think Adams could even go to work. And you could even make an argument that Taj Gibson could do some things where they really could eat up the interior defense for Houston. But guess what? You're rendering Russell Westbrook kind of useless or playing him off the ball, which is something that they really have never done at any point this season. So while I think the point of attack should actually be those three big guys down low – it's just a foreign concept to this team and I don't think that's anything they can revert to oh yeah by the way when they switch ends and now those big guys are playing defense uh it's just uh, a terror it's it's not it's, it doesn't work either yeah. way and, and all this is to say that the Thunder just are not in the same class as the Rockets and that was very clear last night yeah this was
1: a bad matchup um I think everybody knew that coming in The they in 19 minutes, 15 points, seven of eight from the field. He was really good. Fantastic. The Rockets were plus 15 on the glass, and they were plus 24 points in the paint. So, and that, that's the Thunder were the leading rebounding team in the league this year. Right. And
2: so, of course, you know what's going to happen when when. Well, when that's they,
1: the thing. like if you're if the one advantage that you have in this series, you you lose that badly in terms mm-hmm. of differential. Like, of course, this is what's going to happen. And the scary thing is, is, like the Thunder didn't play well. The Thunder are going to play better. Um, I thought. Robertson hitting four threes like obviously right. that's like the one thing that went right oladipo was one of 12 westbrook played his worst game in months uh jeremy grant was good i was impressed by him even though he was a minus 25 um <laughs> oklahoma city was bad they're gonna get better houston was not all that good i mean harden didn't really get it going he was he was really bad in the first quarter didn't get it going until the second half yeah, you know, they were only 10 of 33. But guess what? Three. That's
2: that's the type of team they have, though, where it can seem like they're not getting things going, but the the rest of the three quarters of the game are just in, in hyperdrive, and so they right. can't afford to have a bad quarter. A team like the Thunder, if they have a bad quarter, they're not going to work themselves out of that hole because Russell has to do all the legwork, and, and he's already doing as much as he can handle right now. Right. So when the Thunder are down uh, 10 points at any point in the second half of really any game, there's just... Not a lot of hope, and I and, and I know that the Thunder came back, but how many times is Russell going to go out there and score 16 straight points by himself? It just is well, not going to happen. If you can do
1: that against Phoenix and Orlando and right. Denver, you don't do that against the third best team in the NBA. I mean, the Rockets won this game by 31 points, and you know only made 10 threes. Like to me, that's just that's really a bad sign yes. for OKC. I mean, if you know Harden's three of 11 himself on threes, you know Ryan Anderson was one of six. You know this easily could have been. A much bigger blowout than than it already was. I mean, Houston was down at the end of the first quarter. Which, seeing the end result, you know, looks crazy.
2: Just a one sentence answer here: The Thunder are going to stay in Houston, even though they don't play for a couple of days. That flight from Houston to OKC can't be longer than an hour and ten minutes. I think that's even saying too long. Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea that they're staying in Houston for that break?
1: I think it's fine. Um, You know, is this a team that you worry about in terms of like partying or what do you mean? No,
2: they just, you know, you go home and sleep in your own bed, go back to your training facilities, get your mind right. That is odd, right. I mean, I can see if
1: you're playing across the country. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That that is interesting. They don't play again until Wednesday, like you said, Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have thought they would have flown back. I wouldn't even thought about that yeah they're staying in houston
2: for whatever reason sure. I, I i don't know i think you could say one way or the other because maybe just staying in a hotel and only focusing on game take getting your mind right getting your body yep. right you know there's there's certainly an argument to be said staying in houston could be the better thing but just curious yeah. because i know barkley and Shaq had a lot to say about it they were on the uh at least uh barkley was the go home sleep in your own bedside
1: which so does this game end in four or the series end in four or five
2: I'll say five. I mean, we're going to see a game where, where Russell literally wins it for them and then, you know, something else happens. But I got I mean, if you told me what, what's going to be the one marker that if, if I showed you the box score – or this is a hard question for me to pose – the one thing that would have to happen for the Thunder to steal a game, I would say, is that like Robertson needs to hit, knock down at least three threes. That happened, and they lost. And so, I think the thing you really needed to happen that could swing a game one way or the other already happened, and you lost that game. Expecting that to happen again, right. just—they're toast. Unfo- I mean, we just brought up ten reasons why they're toast. Right.
1: Unfortunately, the Robertson game happened when when Russ was six of twenty-three mm-hmm. and Oladipo was one of twelve. 'Cause yes. he's gonna get more
2: open looks and I and I tell you what, he's not gonna go out there and shoot as right. well as he did before.
1: Yeah, this just this just seemed like a it's almost you know, in the NFL you it's like the best when you when you throw the best defense against the best offense, it seems like the best defense usually wins. I don't know if that works in the NBA because this you know, not that the Thunder are the best defense by any means, but this is a defensive first team going up against a blatantly offensive first team. And it just blew him off the court in every way. That was a, a, probably the most impressive half of basketball of the weekend. Um, let's go to the other blowout. I don't want to spend too much time on this one. Mm-hmm. Memphis was up twenty-two to nine against San Antonio in Game One. They were outscored a hundred and two to sixty the rest of the way. First My,
2: quarter leads mean nothing in the NBA. No, absolutely. If you nothing. looked
1: at that game and thought that the Spurs were in trouble, uh, that that was just an inaccurate take. Nine players had at least two made field goals for San Antonio. Tony Parker played his best game, and I've seen in a really long time. I, is that sustainable at all? I would say probably not. But if he can just give a couple games per series like he played last night, that changes everything for San Antonio.
2: Yeah, he you can tell he was really saving it up for the playoffs because he's been – really not that great during the regular season, not reliable. They've been leaning on Patty Mills, which guess what? That's a very good strategy to have. If you know you're going to comfortably be in uh, you know, one of the top teams in the Western Conference, then lean on your younger guys throw out your veterans like Tony Parker who know what they're doing but now that this is kind of in hand especially with Tony Allen out for likely the whole series uh maybe Tony Parker should go back into hiding and and really save up for the rest of you know the next round or the round after that because uh he can't sustain uh, that level of play he had, eight for 13, 18 points, only two assists, which is kind of funny. But, you know, maybe he'll gain more attraction in game two and game three because of the game one he had, which will lend itself better to more passing opportunities than, you know, the rest of the games in this series. I mean, they, Memphis barely had a shot with Tony Allen on the court, with him off the court, you know, there to just aggravate Kawhi Leonard. Um, I mean, four games for me. I don't think Pop is going to mess around here.
1: Yeah, I I said Memphis, or I guess we can go San Antonio and four. Um, you know, last week and this was a very emphatic, uh, you know, game one win. I, I this is Gasol played really well. He had thirty two. A lot of that damage came early in the game. Conley was was really feeling it in the first quarter. and Then he cooled it off. It, it was just they were so so overmatched they in just... the second half of this game. And with when Kawhi plays like he did last night, a team like Memphis just has no chance.
2: If a team scores more than 92, 94 points against the Grizzlies, they just, you know, more often than not, they're going to lose. They just don't have offensive firepower. I mean, Gasol's great, Conley's great, but they're not the light them up type of guys, so they really have to keep the score within reason, and, and uh, obviously that didn't happen, not expecting that to happen. In the middle two quarters, or well, the final three quarters, you already mentioned it, but 19, 15, and 18 was the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown in the final three quarters for Memphis, and you know what? That's kind of typical of what they can expect moving forward against a good Spurs team, so... They've got a tough road ahead, and it's unfortunately going to be one of those seasons where they put an entertaining product on the court for 82 games of the regular season. They do get a job of entertaining their town and their state, but guess what? That does It doesn't correlate to anything promising in the playoffs, so kudos to them for having a solid season, but it's over. It's just done.
1: Yeah, Zach Randolph, by the way, was a negative 39 mm-hmm. in this game. Um, I, I looked up... Yeah, at first it's like that might that must be one of the lowest you know net ratings ever in a playoff game, and it it was tied for the fourth lowest. Um, do you know who has the worst single game net rating ever in a single playoff game? It happened last year. This is like literally the last guy I would have guessed. JJ mm. Redick, Draymond Green. Wow, Draymond Green was a minus forty three against- in Game Three against the Thunder. If you remember that was the one where OKC oh, absolutely yeah. stomped him, one thirty three to one hundred five. Mm-hmm. Draymond minus forty three, Steph was a minus thirty nine, Clay was wow. a minus forty one in that game.
2: Yikes! Okay, well there you go. Well, that's the thing about Steve Kerr is that he plays at starters a bit. Too long in a blowout win or a blowout loss, and so the fact that that right. negative I mean, minus got ra- you know, like bumped up there, not surprised. So in terms of Zach Randolph, what a shame because all I heard on the radio was, "Oh man, I had no idea Randolph was still playing that old guy." He cost him the game when in reality he was one of the best guys off the bench and had a resurgent season. But like I said, I mean, when we were talking about Giannis, is that the average fan base starts watching in the playoffs? That you know that maybe they catch a game here, a game there, but they start watching. watching. Watching in the playoffs, Randolph had a terrible game, and now everybody's like, wow, he should have retired two years ago when in reality he had a solid, solid season for Memphis.
1: Yeah, just just a bad night. Um, A night that started out pretty well um, for for Memphis, obviously ended not well. We have some breaking news. Okay. The technical against Giannis has been rescinded. Wow. All right, justice has been served. Also the technical against Isaiah Thomas, which happened uh, late in the fourth quarter. I think after he was arguing, like a deflection call or something like that, just kind of just a frustration. Let's talk about the official. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's also been rescinded. So good on the league for doing that. Chicago, Boston this was yet another example of having the best two-way player in a series mattering. Jimmy Butler was a non-factor in the first half. I think he had 25 in the second half, had a number of big shots. I'm, if I'm Boston, I'm worried. Um, of course. If, I mean, the the Isaiah Thomas situation with his sister, um, you know, was obviously tragic. I, I think that goes without saying it couldn't, you know, you don't want to ever say, you know, bring it to a sports, you know, level, but, not something that you want to have happen to your best player right before the start of a playoff series. Um, obviously that- something that's out of his control and obviously something that's really tragic, but, you know, I mean, it's something that it could honestly end up swinging the series in some way, although it didn't seem to necessarily affect Thomas's play On Sunday night,
2: yeah, we were talking about this before the pod. Where if you look at his box score, 33 points, five rebounds, six assists, and a steal, shooting very well, 10 of 18, three of seven from beyond the arc, 10 and 12 from the free throw line. That's just as good, right up the alley of what he did in the regular season. But you know, something kind of hit me as as we as we've been talking, Nick, though, um, where it's really easy to say, oh well, he wasn't affected because look at his box score. You know, he played just as good. What if there was this another gear that you know we saw Tony Barker hit another gear? That he had never hit in the regular season, and what if this loss in his life caused him from and and everybody else from seeing this gear that he had been waiting to get a kick it in that you know who knows maybe we'll see it later on this season, but to say that he played just fine and just normal, you know this is a different game, and players really get up for it, so who knows it could end up swaying the series, which is a shame, you know all that said, and it's it's really hard to just push a shot push aside. It really is about who are who are the best player or two players on the court, and you could make a, a pretty good argument that Jimmy Butler is easily number one, and then Dwayne Wade is on par with Isaiah Thomas. I think no you can.
1: way in the playoffs though. No way, Dwayne Wade. No
2: way, Dwayne Wade was terrible in this game. Did you game, watch this game? No. In this game, Nick. But if if he goes out there and scores thirty five points in, in one of these games in this series, would you be surprised? Yes, if I would be, I would no, be surprised if he on. scores twenty five points. Oh come on! Well, we yes. need to, we need to throw down some money on I, that
1: then i i've been off the d wade train for like three years now no way man okay Dwayne wade better than isaiah thomas put put I'm, that on twitter and I'm, see saying, what I'm saying i'm saying you should lose you should lose your job for your, your yeah your your tweet. Conference so, finals prediction
2: yeah so i i predicted the the clippers versus the rockets and bulls versus the calves which both of those are still very much in play thank you very much uh calves repeating guess. Somebody tweeted I should lose my job and I respond something like perhaps I, I agree. will. Who knows? Maybe Pete Chanky will fire me because of that tweet. But anyways, all that said, I mean Dwayne Wade is the type of player who can really ball out when it actually actually matters. That really, I don't think he really gave 100 percent in any of those games throughout the regular season because he knows better than anybody else. You're, you you know your fame and your infamy is made in the postseason. So why am I going to go out full out in the regular season? I think I think there's something left to be seen from Dwayne Wade, and we will see it at some point in this series or the next series, and I and I do think he's going to reach the 30-point plateau at some point.
1: He had four 30-point games during the regular season. Uh, I mean, he was bad, bad, bad. He had one one jumper late in the game that was big for Chicago, dunk, but he really missed a bad. dunk. He had a couple of really bad turnovers, threw a ball away at a key possession late in the game. Um, did have six assists though, um, and then was a nice facilitator when Rondo was off the court late in the game, but I mean... I, I would like to see the reactions if you if you tell people that Dwayne Wade is better than Isaiah Thomas. I didn't say
2: better. I said on the same par in terms of in the playoffs. Mm-mm. Okay.
1: I mean, he's I guess he's a better defender.
2: Is he the third best player in the series?
1: No. Horford? See, I don't know. I want to talk about Horford. He on paper, 19 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Didn't have any blocks or steals, but still. I mean, for Horford, that's a pretty great game. 40 minutes, 8 to 13 shooting at a big 3 going into halftime, but then you look at the rebounding, and the Bulls were plus 17 on the glass. Robin
2: Lopez went to work. I Robin, mean, he was one of the reasons why they won right. that game. The
1: Bulls are the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. They were during the regular season, so this isn't all that surprising, but Lopez is not a great rebounder. Mm-hmm. 13.2% defensive rebounding rate. That's He's 30th in the NBA in offensive rebound percentage, which you know is not all that great. Felicio is a little bit better at 21st. Horford is 114th in total rebound percentage among players with at least 500 minutes. That's that's about the same, and actually slightly worse than Nemanja Bialica. Yikes! Like the the Celtics Choice have a real right. Who's like this <laughs> random guy who I honestly, if you would have told me he was back in Europe this year, I would have been like, sure. Like I had no idea he was still with the Wolves. Like this, the rebounding thing is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. This, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was kind of underplayed a little bit coming into this series. I mean, plus 17. That was obviously the difference, I think, for Chicago. It's hard to make a case any other way.
2: There was a lot of them where the team kind of cleared out, and what I would like to call a regular season rebound is what the Celtics thought was going to happen. But it's the playoffs. It's a different game. And Robin Lopez just came in there with those long arms. Just he wasn't even he didn't even box somebody else out and grab it and put no, it back up. Just going right he around. Was, it was just like a fifty-fifty ball that the Celtics player didn't realize was a fifty-fifty ball. Grab it, put it back in, tip, tip back in. I mean, he had a span of three of those, and I think he had four straight possessions where he scored the first three were tip back ins, offensive rebounds, okay. and then the fourth was like a fifteen foot jumper, and you're saying and the Celtics are like, oh my gosh, Robin Lopez is about to steal this. Series for much. Jay
1: Crowder cannot and he's a great rebounder but he can't be Boston's leading rebounder he was the leader last night with eight total rebounds Robin Lopez had eight offensive rebounds Avery, by himself in 34 Avery, minutes
2: Avery Bradley was one of the top 10 rebounders in the league to start the season and obviously things have changed since yeah. then but that he only weird, had three rebounds
1: that hasn't been yeah he was I mean he was rebounding it was like close to eight a game before yeah. the all-star break and that's really fallen top 10 off
2: might have been giving him too I mean, much among credit guards, but he, he was, he was amazing, the best yeah.
1: rebounding guard in the NBA besides Russ and maybe Harden uh, you know, early in the season. But yeah, that, like you said, that's fallen off. I don't want to speculate much on the Thomas thing. Uh, I think, you know, it's a good point. It can go either way. Some guys would rally around something like that. Some guys, it could maybe, you know, weigh on them a little bit more. He, there was a chance this morning that he wasn't going to play game two, you know, due to the memorial service. I mean, his sister lives literally like as far away as possible Washington, from Boston yeah. in the country and Washington. So it sounds like he's going to play game two and then fly to Washington for oh, a couple of days. I think so... It's it's tough. I mean, it's... Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's a really, really tough thing. This is already going to be a tough series for Chicago, and then to have that happen is, is really sad. Um, any other takeaways from this game? The last thing I'll say is that Marcus Smart hit three threes, um, you know, in the first three quarters of this game and then missed three, like, wide open what would have been big-time shots for the Celtics, and it just kind of proves that you can't rely on him to shoot the ball like that. He probably shouldn't be taking seven threes. He was the worst three-point shooter in the league this season. That's a little bit concerning.
2: Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say also, is that Smart feels like he needs to take those threes, but for them to win the game, it, it needs to be somebody else. It needs to be anything else, really. And so while I know he feels that on him and he wants to be that guy for an NBA team, and he certainly was with Oklahoma State in college, somebody needs to put their arm around him and just say, you need to drive and kick because you're going to provide so much more value added if you're driving and kicking yeah. or literally doing anything else than trying to win this game for us.
1: Well, it's tough because, you know, they were like, you know, kick to him. It's not like he was just like dribbling up and just pulling up from three. Right. They, were, they were good looks. So I think it's more of you don't want him to be the guy on the, you know, camping out in the corner waiting on the final end of yeah. that pass. Like well, he wasn't taking bad shots. They're allowing
2: just, him to take those shots just yeah. like they do
1: Roberson. And, and right, whatnot, exactly. So. As they should. Uh, all right, let's do Golden State quick. I, I really think the Warriors have a good chance to go 16-0 and in these playoffs. I really do. 16-0? and I think so. So I think they could win the it.
2: championship without losing any games. Right.
1: Never been done, but teams have gotten close. Okay. I think it could be done. Uh, if any team could do it, it would be this team, right? And, like, I think they're going to sweep Portland. And then you look at a Jazz team that, you know, if they win that series, who knows what Rudy Gobert's status is. If it's the Clippers, the Clippers haven't beaten the Warriors in, like, two and a half years. And then you get to the West Finals, and maybe it's Houston, maybe it's San Antonio. You, you don't want to project too far out, but I just – I don't see a series that where, where this team really, really, really gets pushed, especially when you look at what's going on in the East. Um, that said, you know, this was, this was a game that really was very close until midway through the fourth quarter.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean the two, two big guys combined for 75 points and that's the most, I think maybe they've, Ever combined for, or maybe it was it's in the first be, half. Yeah. I, I don't forget.
1: know. I mean, that game where Dame had fifty nine, wouldn't true. have taken Could've. much from McCollum.
2: Yeah, don't don't read too much into that. It might have been. I think it was in the first half, which was I don't remember what it was. All that's to say, if Nick Whalen is already talking about that this team can win four zero in the finals then okay. we don't need to spend any more time on this series because you're right. They're just – we saw the best game they're going to have without Nurkic on the court. I If he didn't play in game one, you know, I'm just suspect that he's going to be able to return at any point. So um, Warriors, keep on rolling. Trailblazers, congrats. You made the playoffs, but your team is trending downwards. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah, Blazers are going to put in four games of really fun basketball. So, I mean, at least we get that. These aren't these aren't just going to be like rollovers, you know, like we saw with Memphis and San Antonio. I think they're going to be games like this, maybe not quite as close throughout. Um, but it's going to be a fun series. JaVale was great in this game. The Blazers' bigs were really bad. Noah Vonleh is just so – there were a couple just soft, soft plays, whether it was rebounding or just on the offensive end. And then that was maybe the best individual defensive game I've ever seen from Draymond. Yeah, he's so good. Unbelievable. That was one of his five best games I think I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, he. I mean, he's amazing. So let's switch gears and talk about the end and transition. Draymond Green or Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year? It's Draymond. It's Draymond. Yeah, I think you I mean, right.
1: it, you, it's not a bad case either way. Draymond's been second the last two years. I think it's his turn, more or less, and this has been his best defensive yeah. season. Um, I, I think it's Draymond, and I think he's going to win it. Speaking of Gobert, he goes out one minute into this game. Uh, I, we've gotten word now that it's it's – a bruise slash hyperextended yeah. knee, which it was the diagnosis for KD, and he missed, you know, more than a month, so that worries me a little bit. They ruled him out for Game 2. I, I really can't imagine we see Gobert again in this series, but at the same time, he avoided any sort of torn ligament, which is the big thing.
2: Right, big thing, because injuries like that where you tear really anything yeah. are going to affect a player heading into next season because we're not at that point, you know, where it's a given, oh, you know, they'll come back next season. We're, we're far enough along where... You have to factor into next year and really dive into what the specificity of the injury. Um I have clips winning this series, which isn't that big of a takeaway. The fact that they couldn't
1: beat a Rudigo list team. And a team that didn't have time to prepare to be without Rudigo Bear. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's concerning. Dicey. Like this is this is a game. You're at home, you know? Like if this game is in Utah, you could see it. Here's here's the thing. And and I picked the Clippers
2: to go on and somehow beat the Warriors. And I know that's outlandish and it's crazy and it's absurd. Correct. But let me present this case to you. And and while I presented this case for why the Clippers could make it to the Western Conference Finals, I'm going to back it way up and just say, "Well, this is the case why they could just win this one series, right?" So, I, I won't go too far. They have three bona fide all-stars on their teams, right? How many teams can say that? They have three bona fide all-stars on their team, right? And they don't play a similar position. They're mixed out accordingly. That's great. They have one of the best two-way point guards to ever play this game. And while he might not be in his prime, he's not far enough out of his prime where you're saying, you know, he he's still really good. Chris Paul is still really good. And this team has played together for four or five years. Even the role players in J.J. Redick and Jamal Crawford, when you're talking about a team that has three bona fide All-Stars and has this many reps with each other, it's so rare, and I think you can't discredit that. Let's not forget, they're still one of the best teams in the NBA. They're not obviously the best regular season team or even the second or third best. They're still a very, very good team, versatile. They can get it done in different ways. And I'm just on paper... We shouldn't be surprised if they beat the Jazz in this series. Although the eye test, you know, we want to lean towards the Jazz because they're the new team and the Clippers have struggled this year. But the Clippers are still very, very good to the point where they're undervalued. I mean, this is your Carmelo Carmelo Anthony argument that I'm using and putting on the Clippers where Carmelo had been beaten down to a pulp by the media so much that he's actually undervalued and underappreciated in the league. I think the Los Angeles Clippers – are the team version of Carmelo Anthony right now?
1: I mean, that that's an argument that I think you could make before Game One, but it's like all that said, like how did they lose this game?
2: Uh, yeah, I know, I get it. I, think, <laughs> I don't know. They scored ninety five I mean, points. The at point, home. the point I would say is that they can rally. Right, they're not a brand yeah, new team with their back against the wall. They've literally had their back against the wall every time they've been in the playoffs. So if you're looking for a team to rally, I would think that it's these group of guys that have been with each other for so long with a very, very good coach. And so that would be my retort. I have no excuse whatsoever for this game, but I can say, you know, maybe leading into the next games, you know, that would be my argument for why they could snap back into reality.
1: They'd need to win game two. I think that goes without saying. Um, whether Gobert returns the series or not, you don't want to go back to Utah down o two. 2 the bench is a concern um you know Jamal Crawford was really bad in this game he was he was inexplicably defending Joe Johnson on that final possession when when Johnson was able to win the game on the floater uh why was JJ Redick not in the game instead of Crawford I'm not sure um, but but yeah, the Clippers bench worries me. The you know Utah is so much deeper. You know, it's even if you want to get down to like Shelvin Mack versus Raymond Felton, like you'd rather have Shelvin Mack. And really, Are you oh sh- yeah, I mean Paul Pierce played in this game. Paul Pierce has yeah. no business being in a two point playoff game for for any amount of minutes, let alone three minutes. Sure. Um. Yeah. I I, I still I think it's fifty fifty the rest of the way. Honestly, I mean especially with if if I'm going to assume that Gobert's not coming back. It's 50-50, even with the Utah having a one-game advantage. The Clippers should win. The Clippers have home court for the long haul in this series. They are the better team. They're the more experienced team. But we have also seen them you know have these kind of collapses and this also seems like right about the time that Chris Paul would should come around to screen and break his hand again that's oh, as has on. been customary that's a
2: low blow come <laughs> well on. that's part of the reason well, they that's keep another- out.
1: That's of the re- that's something that doesn't get brought up enough it's like they have these injuries every year in the playoffs that also contribute to them falling out
2: and that's another reason thank you for bringing that up Nick and proving my point or not, not my point my argument because I'm, I'm certainly not going to win you over what this, is the <laughs> i i just think that i mean i thought i really was hitting a sweet spot with you by i want the clippers Carmelo. to win if, if that know. matters for anything because i just we
1: how do you not win this game you because have three best
2: players and and those injuries and the fact that they've beaten their head against the wall so many times and haven't seen any results with being one of the first super teams right um I actually feel sorry for them and I really have been rooting for them this season. Cause I, I think, you know, they've just gotten so darn close and they haven't quite gotten over the hump and, and there's a soft spot in my heart for them. But that said they could easily go on and be a super team that amounted to absolutely nothing. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I, I think the mass cha- or the most chaotic result is the Clippers lose in like five and you know, things just, I mean, I at that point, I think you would have to blow it up just based on public perception and, the way that those guys would be feeling coming out of that series. So if we we want to root for chaos, that's probably what we should be rooting for. Um, But I think we all want to see a a better series between these two teams. All right, let's wrap it up. we got two games tonight, like we said. Pacers-Cavs tips off in about an hour. Then we got Grizzlies-Spurs. We'll be back maybe Wednesday or Thursday, recap some of these game twos, uh, see where we're at heading into the weekend.